other. But as we've said repeatedly, the tension isn't the kind of tension that pushes them apart, but it holds them together. Okay, it holds them together. And so we've explored different uh, different ideas of this. We've talked about the idea of the old and the new and the way that so many people see uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament as being in tension with each other and as if, as the God of the old is different than the God of the new. And we see the ways in which Jesus is the fulfillment of all. And it's through Jesus that those are held together, right? He's the fulfillment of all of that. We're going to dig a little more into that this morning. We talked about the idea of, of the tension between faith and works, that we know without a doubt, we absolutely affirm and we stand in that orthodox stream of Christianity that says we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But we also acknowledge as we examine the scope of the scriptures that salvation is so full That salvation is so transformational in us that without a doubt, salvation will spark good works, right? It gives birth to it. We can't get those backwards. Works never produces faith. Works never produces salvation. But the the opposite is true. Salvation produces works and it gives birth to that as Paul describes in the fruit of the Spirit, as he, as he says so many times throughout his letter. So, so we hold to that, and we see the way that those two things are actually held together in tension, right? And, and so last week we talked about this, this tension between grace and truth. And often we're told, well, this is a moment to display grace, and this is a moment to display truth. But we see in that great story of Jesus how he holds the two together, and they ask him and they push him to choose a side. In this moment with the woman who was caught in adultery, are you going to choose grace or are you going to choose the truth? And Jesus holds them together and he chooses both. And he demonstrates both. And we learn through that that Jesus is full of grace and truth and the two are not separated from each other. Right? The divine, sovereign, almighty God cannot be dissected in a lab. Pieces of him taken Apart, but he holds all of that together at the core of who he is. And so today we're going to talk about the paradox of holy and love. Holy and love. Next week we're going to wrap uh, this series up and we're going to examine in a really special way uh, the, the paradox of faith and science. Okay, faith and science. And that's something that I know a lot of us wrestle with. And, and, and a lot of times we're, we're pressed to choose one, right? To, to have allegiance to one. But what we see is that God obviously has created our intellect, right? He's created our intellect and God in so many ways is driving discovery. And the more we discover, the more we see him, right? The more we see his fingerprints all over it. So next week, we ha- we're going to have a special guest. He's a professor um, from UNC, um, a science, a scientist himself. Okay, like I used to kind of tear it up in the sixth grade science fair. Okay, but I'm not going to try to tackle that one by myself. All right. So we have an expert coming, uh, very respected. He travels the country and speaks in what's called Veritas forums, um, where he speaks on the, these campuses, college campuses around the country on this particular issue. Last week he was at Cornell. Um, lecturing and also speaking on this very issue. So he's going to be with us next week, and that's going to be powerful. So I want you guys to be here and tell your friends, okay? Anyone who's wrestling with that, make sure you bring them. And he's going to show us 
how he personally lives within that tension and how his love of Christ and how his, the salvation that he's experienced through Christ um, drives the way that he lives in that tension. So this morning, um, we are going to examine here for a few moments together, um, holy and love. Okay, holy and love. And so many times when we look at the character of God, it seems as if these two are in tension against each other. When we talk about God as being holy, then the more we dig into that, the more we see the pure, absolute holiness of God, we discover more and more how God is completely unapproachable. Completely unapproachable. Not one of us could approach him. And yet also through Scripture, it describes him not only as saying God is holy, which is all the way through Scripture, right? But it also all the way through Scripture describes him as love. God is love, and it's at the core of his character. So how do we make sense of these two and the tension that we see? We're going to look uh, for a few minutes into that this morning. Um, As we were preparing for this, uh, it actually sent us back um, to the book that we studied this summer. There's a powerful passage in the book of Hebrews that I feel like captures this in the best possible way for us to work through it this morning. It's in Hebrews chapter 10. And it's starting in verse 19. We're going to read that in just a moment. Holy Spirit, continue to help us today. You've been speaking and you have been moving as you always do. And so I pray that your message would be very clear today. I pray that you would guide us. I pray that you would speak with power and with clarity. And help us to see the way that these two are at the heart of who you are. Help us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So let's let's read uh, real quick these verses here, and then we're going to start to unpack them a little bit in their context and also in that broader um, historical context that we find these in. Okay. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. So we're going to unpack this just a few moments here um, and look at the way that, that this helps us explore this. OK, uh, a little background on the book of Hebrews. If you were around this summer, then you heard us say this a lot. Basically, this is the thesis statement of the book of Hebrews. OK, it goes like this. It says repeatedly over and over. It begins this way. It runs all the way through it and it finishes this way. Jesus is greater. Jesus is is greater okay and that is a theme that runs all the way through and it begins as you can tell from the title of this sermon from this book okay that um it the 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 audience are those who are coming from this traditional jewish religious background okay but it begins right off the bat by saying jesus is greater it says jesus is greater than our shared history as israel Because Jesus is eternal. 
So therefore, he is greater than history. It lays that out very powerfully and eloquently. Okay, so Jesus is greater than history. Jesus is greater than the prophets. As much as we revere the prophets of Israel and we see them as the servants of God, bringing the word of God to his people, Jesus is greater than the prophets because he's not just coming to deliver the spoken word of God. He is the living word of God himself. Okay, Jesus is the word, so he is greater than the prophets. Jesus is greater even than the kings, those great kings that we revere through Israel's history. Jesus is greater than them because he will reign on the throne eternally, and his is an eternal and heavenly and all-encompassing kind of kingdom. He is king over all the earth, supreme and sovereign. Jesus is king, so he's greater even than David or Solomon or any of our other heroes of the monarchy there. He goes on and he says, Jesus is greater than the priests who administer worship, right? Those where the prophets come to the people on behalf of God, the priests do the opposite. They go to God on behalf of the people and Jesus is greater than the priest. Jesus is even greater than the high priest, that place of elevated honor in their worship system. And then he really hits his climax here in this passage where he talks about Jesus being greater than the temple. So in all of these, we see that Jesus is greater than the entire worship system that Israel had, that God gave to them. Okay, Jesus is greater than even the temple. Here's a little background on the temple and what this is actually talking about. So we make this statement of uh, we have confidence to enter the most holy place. And it talks about a curtain and a veil and the most holy place and all of this. And it's confusing unless we have the context. But here's what it tells us, okay? As we look back through the history, um, once God delivers the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt, leads them out of Egypt and into freedom with Moses leading the way, okay? Um, there's this time where they spend 40 years in the desert because even though God had miraculously set them free, they still failed to believe and they had doubt. And because of that doubt, they end up spending 40 years wandering in the wilderness. But even though they were wandering in the wilderness, God would not leave them by themselves. And he comes to Moses and he says, I want you to make a tent for me. I want you to make a tent for me. And it's interesting because as the, the Israelite people, as they wandered through the desert, there were nomads and they lived in tents and they would pick up the tent and they would keep moving as God led them on to the next place. But God said, as you are living there in your tents, I want you to build a tent for me. And he called it the tabernacle. And he gave Moses specific directions on how to set up the tabernacle. Now, this is miraculous because this is the first time in the history of the world since the Garden of Eden that it says that the presence of God comes to live among his people. To live among his people. Now, God had come and he was he was guiding people. He was speaking to them. He was revealing himself to them. His presence was with them in a very real way. But for the first time in the history of the world since the brokenness of the fall, it says that God sets up camp with his people. He localizes himself with his people. And this is this is miraculous. So God gives them this design 
And he says, I want you to build for me a tabernacle, build for me a tent, and I will come and I will live among you. It's a very basic design. Okay, this is going to be a pretty crude drawing, okay, because I'm, I'm not an artist or a scientist, apparently. Okay, so um, this, is, this is basically what it looks like. Okay, this kind of rectangle type structure. This is the outer wall of it made of linen. And um, so this is the, the basic setup. Within this, we have another space. Okay, and this is called the holy place. Now, only people uh, who were of, uh, who were um, religiously Jewish were allowed inside the courts of the tabernacle. Okay, and you had to be prepared for worship. You had to be consecrated. You had to go through this process of cleansing and purification to be able to enter in for worship. So, so it was a it was a reserved space. But now, this holy place is reserved. In, in, in even deeper ways, okay? Only the priests were allowed to step into the holy place, okay? Only the priests were allowed to step into the holy place. But then God said, I want you to set up a curtain and set up a veil between the holy place and the most holy place. And my very presence will live and dwell in the most holy place. And they believed and they saw God as being seated in this throne room here within the most holy place. Now to show you how revered that was, what we have to understand is this, that um, only, as even the, the, the priests were the only ones who could enter the holy place, there was only one person, one time a year, who could enter into the most holy place. Only one person, one time a year, who could cross beyond the curtain and go into the very presence of this holy, unapproachable God. One time a year. It was the high priest. Whoever God had chosen to be the high priest for that year, they would pass through the curtain. They would enter in for the purpose of making a sacrifice for all of the people. One person, a priest, one person making a sacrifice for the sake of all of the people. You get where this is going, right? And and it was such a holy and reserved kind of place that when that high priest, that one person once a year, stepped foot beyond the curtain, the priest would wear bells, okay? The priest would wear bells so that people on the outside could hear that he is still moving around in there, that he is still alive, that he is surviving, standing in the very presence of God because they believed if there was any impurity in this priest that when he stepped beyond the curtain and into the presence of God he would be killed immediately because of the sheer holiness of this presence of God Yahweh himself so they would wear bells and as long as they heard the bells moving around they knew that he was okay he was surviving in this incredibly dangerous encounter with the very much alive God himself. Another thing that they would do is they would tie a rope around the ankle of that priest because if the priest were to go in there and they heard the bells hit the ground, right, and they heard the bells stop moving and they they knew that that this priest had been killed, nobody else was going to go in there after him. No one was going to go in there to get him. So they tied a rope around his ankle to drag him out. This is how high and how holy this presence of God is seen 
to be. Incredibly powerful. Now, get that history. Uh, as, as they move into the promised land, uh, and then God establishes his temple. And David says, God, you've lived in a tent long enough. I can't, as the king, live in a palace while you, our God, lives in a tent. Let me build a temple for you. Let me build a palace and a house for you. And God says, no, David, you can't do it because of the battles and the wars that you have fought. There's too much blood on your hands. But I'll let your son Solomon do it. Solomon, we still know for his incredible wisdom and wealth. And he channels all of that into the construction of this incredible temple. But for all of its beauty and its majesty and its size, it still reflected this same core setup. The court, the holy place, the most holy place. Because this is how God had revealed himself to his people. And this is how God set up that he would dwell among his people. And so as they move into the temple, it keeps this same basic setup. Now go back to this passage that we read in Hebrews earlier and see in light of this how strange this sounds. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter into the most holy place, what is he even talking about? No one had confidence to enter into the holy place, not even the priest who had gone through all of the purification rituals, not even him. He was wearing bells and had a rope around his ankle because not even he had confidence that he would survive this encounter with the all-holy God. But listen to what he's saying. He's saying now in light of Jesus, because Jesus is greater than everything because he's greater than the prophets and the kings and the priests and the high priests. Jesus is greater even than the temple himself. Is that, is that degrading this? No. It's just saying this was the shadow and Jesus is the full light that this has been pointing to. And the miraculous thing of all of this is that Jesus, the high priest, who not only makes the sacrifice on behalf of all of the people, he becomes the sacrifice on behalf of all of the people. And Jesus himself leads us into the temple and into the holy place and even leads us into the most holy place. As it says, now we have confidence to enter into the most holy place and to pass through the curtain. This curtain that was dividing. The word holy means to be set apart. And to be made separate. That's what it means at its root. And that is how God was, was, was revealing himself. And Jesus takes us beyond the curtain. And we know that at the crucifixion of Jesus, what happens to the curtain in the temple? It's torn from top to bottom. And it says to us, now all of us, because of the perfect sacrifice of Jesus, not just the priest who makes it, but the priest who becomes the sacrifice, because of that, we are all brought beyond the curtain and into the most holy presence of God. Acts 2 goes even further. And it tells us that for the first time in history now, all of the believers, as the Holy Spirit falls down, now all of the believers are filled with the presence of God. So now this, not only is it something we can step into, but it's something that steps into us and the very living presence of the living God, the all holy God.
takes up residence in his people and you and I become walking temples and tabernacles filled with the presence of God. So it's not only him leading us in, but now the presence is on the move and it's breaking out everywhere you look and the world has been turned on its head because of what Jesus has done. This is incredible. This is incredible. So in this, we see how Jesus pulls together this paradox in who he is. We see the high holiness of God. So holy, he is unapproachable, but so full of love that his love is uncontainable. He is so holy that he is unapproachable. We could never get to him ourselves, but he is so full of love. He is love in such a powerful way that that love is uncontainable and it breaks out and the curtain is torn and the presence is flowing out. This is incredible, the way that he reveals himself to us. Therefore, brothers and sisters, now we have confidence to enter into the most holy place. How? By the blood of Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain. That is his body. His body is broken and becomes the curtain for us. And since we have such a great high priest over the house of God, now our hope, we hold to this unswerving hope in who he is. We're going to share in communion today, celebrating what Jesus Christ has done in this and the way that holy and love collide. And that is at the core of who God is. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we now have confidence. What a strange thought to enter into the most holy place. How? It says by the blood of Jesus. By the blood of Jesus. Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, who leads us through the curtain that was torn because that curtain is his very body broken for us. And now a new and living way has been opened wide for us to experience the presence of God for us to step into the presence of God and even more wild and ridiculous, the presence of God takes up residence in us. And now every person that you come in contact with is dangerously close to a life-changing encounter with the very living God because he lives in you. He's alive in you through the work of Jesus Christ. Wow. Everywhere you stand is now holy ground. Everywhere you stand is now holy ground. When you lay your head down at night in the dorm room or the master suite or on the concrete or in that tent in the woods, that space becomes the palace of the Most High God. When students step into your classroom, when customers step up to your counter, when patients step into your clinic, they are dangerously close to a life-changing encounter with the Most High God. We celebrate that today. 
we give him thanks. We remember his sacrifice that accomplished it today by sharing in communion, by coming to the table, by passing through that curtain, the new and living way through Jesus himself. We invite you to come forward. Jesus has invited you to his table and all who are seeking after God and all who desire to be in relationship with God and all who are surrendering who they are to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has invited you to his table. Jesus has invited you to his table. And if you feel that the Holy Spirit is tugging on you and drawing you to come and to celebrate this, then Jesus is inviting you to his table. What a thought. What a thought. We invite you to come down and celebrate. We'll, we'll, I'll be right here. So you come down and you take communion. You tear off a piece of the bread and you dip it in the cup and you taste and see that the Lord is good. As we say always, there is plenty of bread. Don't tear off a tiny little piece, okay? No crumbs in the kingdom of God, all right? So you come down and you celebrate at his table what he has accomplished. With confidence, we enter into the most holy place by the blood of Jesus who carries us beyond the curtain because the curtain, his body, has been torn so that we might enter in by the new and living way. Amen.